0: The oligarchs at home and abroad are trying to grind us down, confuse and separate us. That's why Gaslit Nation is here, to help you stay grounded in the truth that another world is possible. Subscribe
1: wherever you get your podcasts.
2: When a conservative icon dies, libs get a day to run amok on Twitter. When a liberal icon dies... Conservatives get a Supreme Court justice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat.
1: You'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think.
3: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children, this the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome back to the Variety program here at Ruthless. It's a, uh, you know, it's been a sad little time here um, with the passing of Rush Limbaugh, an icon.
2: Yeah, uh, you know that is definitely what we should get into first. It's pretty much been uh, the entire news cycle since he since he passed away, since news came out of him passing. And I think, you know, it's pretty obvious we wouldn't be here uh, without him. He kind of opened the doors for conservatives to, you know, break down the walls that uh, a, a liberal biased media kind of acting as gatekeepers decides what they think should be allowed to have attention. And and uh, he, he said, no, 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 kicked down the door and, and left it open for the rest of us.
0: That's, that's you hit on such a good point there, Smug. You know, there's obviously been a lot of hate online t- today from, you know, the media and the left about Rush. The reason why the media hates Rush is the same reason they hate Facebook and conservative publications who do well on social media, or reporters don't like that they can't get into uh, the right part of that new app, Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. The media and these reporters, more than just being partisan, or or manufacturing conflict for for clicks. They want to be gatekeepers. And people like Rush Limbaugh disintermediated that conversation and went directly to the audience went directly to the voters every single day. And that is at the end of the day, why they hated him so much.
3: That's 100% right. And I, I, you know, it's impossible for folks who are just getting interested in politics to really like, understand the significance of Rush in the late 90s, early 2000s in the conservative universe. I mean, this was, if you think about the the real sort of movers of audience, like the Tucker Carlson's of the world, it, who, who is incredibly significant at this particular point in time. But then back 20 years, Rush was the conservative audience. There was nowhere else to go. I remember working on Senate races where if he mentioned that Senate race, it was like your world just exploded. You know, every conservative in the country, the only way that they could get attention to what it is that you're doing is if Rush said it, because he was the gathering place. And it was it, it can't be overstated. You know, I, I think of the people who are most responsible for the maturation of the conservative universe. You know, we we, we go to battle every day with a hostile media, hostile higher education, hostile Hollywood elite, hostile finance sector. Basically, every establishment in the country is violently opposed to what it is that we believe in. But we had Rush, and he and he invented a medium and gave us a platform that ultimately led us to Roger Ailes and Fox News and and everything else, and and here we are at ruthless, right? We're we're ready to take it to the next generation.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, like like I said, you you cannot, uh, you know, stress enough the impact he had opening that door for co- all conservatives to be heard, uh, changing the entire paradigm of, you know, you get the news was essentially giving you the talking points, deciding what could be discussed. The journalists were in complete control. And he broke that monopoly. And it's because of that that we now have a conservative ecosystem on the radio, online, everywhere. He totally changed the game.
3: And it was, and it was the one thing that I think a lot of libs miss and, and basically the one thing that uh, all of his critics, you know, the, his biggest critics are people who never listened to his show, right? Mm-hmm. They just, they, they heard the one snippet they were offended by and hated him for life. But the thing that he got that I think basically is the same reason we wanted to start Ruthless is that comedy kills, man. If, if you can have a little lighter approach to entertain people while they're learning something, mm-hmm. we can all have a community together. And the community that Rush built was just absolutely huge. But it's the same kind of thing that we look to capture with Ruthless is it's, it's, we're all having fun together, but we're talking about important stuff.
2: Amen. So, you know, rest in peace to Rush and cancer is the absolute worst. Yeah. What do we got next going?
3: So I think I like part of me just didn't want to deal with this, but I I don't know how you don't. Um, We told you, I think probably on almost every occasion we had the opportunity that all of the media outlets and social media platforms that were canceling Donald Trump would turn around and promote every syllable of his words if and when he came to a crossroads where it hurt other Republicans. I heard from every reporter in the friggin' country yesterday <laughs> who were asking me. And showing me and posting Donald Trump's statement, I guess it is, that he put out in a press release about about Mitch McConnell, which I don't don't really want to get into for the following reason. We told you that this was going to happen, right? That that they will not post Donald Trump when he is productive, when he is being helpful for the conservative movement. They will not. They just want to silence him. The yeah, moment—it's insane.
2: Like w- it was weeks ago, they were saying that like he is so dangerous, he can't be allowed to tweet. His words—you never know what could happen. Like you had stations saying that we will not uh, carry any of of this statement that he's put out since, because God knows it's violent, it's dangerous. The second they think they can try and gin up like a, a Republican on Republican civil war, instantly, there every journalist is like, "Wow, look at this! Look at this! Look at this!" They'll they'll, they'll give it as much airtime as they can.
3: It's wall to wall. So, you know, having done this for a living, we're not your typical rubes that are going to walk face first into the, the meat grinder here. We know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get us to not focus on the important stuff. They're trying to make it about a civil war. And you can either take the bait or not, right? I mean, clearly... I have a, a million different takeaways from a particular letter. Let me tell you what's important that we focus on. Figuring out how to pick up the pieces from a lost election, move forward, improving the product, improving our arguments, improving our organizing, and getting out and, and, and taking House and Senate majorities. Because frankly, we're in deep danger, guys. If you looked at this $1.9 trillion program that biden's got out there or or all of these bizarre social engineering executive orders that he's putting Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. we got a battle on our hands for the future of this country and we can either sit around and talk about a personality conflict or we can try to focus on what unites us
2: that's exactly it like we can we can let the media divide the party But there are ways we should all be coming together like schools where they, you know, you saw them put out these articles where they're like, Republicans are weaponizing families angered at schools remaining closed. Republicans are weaponizing them. Like we have a winning issue here where Biden administration and Democrat governors and the teachers unions are not following the science like they kept trying to trumpet to us. They kept saying, follow the science, follow the science. The CDC guidelines say open those schools up. And we have a winning issue there, and they know it. The journalists recognized it, and they tried to say it's being weaponized or Republicans are pouncing on this issue. No, that's something that it doesn't matter if uh, you're a Democrat voter, independent voter, Republican voter. You know these parents are outraged that schools are remaining closed despite the CDC saying they're good to go.
0: It's it smug. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You know, the media wants us talking about a civil war, not talking about the issue that's going to help us win back majorities in Congress, period. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And the number one issue there is schools. And it's one of these rare opportunities where we're on the right side of the policy. Yeah. The science is on our side. Common sense is on our side. It's good politics because we have to do better in the suburbs. And three, it's a motivating factor at a grassroots level across this country. And the, when you're the party out of power, organizing locally is important. Mm-hmm. We have to do it. And that's why this issue is so important. Folks, when, when the Georgia runoffs were going on, we talked about Georgia almost every episode. Right? You remember that, guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got to talk
3: about schools. And we yeah, keep, you're right. But keep look, talking about it. Let me just put a bow on this. He's absolutely right. We got to talk about schools. We got to talk about the ties that bind. If you find yourself being pulled in as a conservative into a binary choice between you know, Donald Trump and something else, reject the premise. Reject the premise. This is, if, if Republicans ever have binary choices, we are going to get slaughtered by Democrats, because that means we're splitting ourselves twice to their one. Mm -hmm. And and, and it's just, it's, it takes self-discipline. It takes a certain amount of, um, you know, self-modesty about not just sort of professing your view of what ought to be. But honestly, that is the way that we rebuild is we focus like, like both of you have just said on the issues that actually matter because ultimately politics You know what it's about? It's about representing people and it's about trying to make people's lives better. There is nothing about an argument or name calling or physical appearance observations that are making a single life better in America. What's making the potential to make lives better is if Republicans can band together and put just absolute fire heat on school boards and Democratic politicians who are basically trying to ruin the next generation of americans
2: Yep, and they know it that, that's why they are doing everything they can to not talk about this they're doing everything they can to try and explain away the gaffes uh saying that you know the biden administration saying that they side with teachers unions is a gaffe that's not what they're talking about and republicans are just trying to weaponize schools being closed no they know this is a winner they know for a fact that we have those voters in the suburbs we need on our side. They know for a fact we have independent voters on our side on this. They know that it's become crystal clear that this is the teachers' unions forcing schools to remain closed despite even in situations where you have teachers vaccinated. Like, Duncan, what was the county that you were talking about, Virginia?
0: Fair, Fairfax, Virginia, and, and for people who live in the, in the, you know, the Washington, D.C. area, you're probably familiar with Fairfax County. It's got the highest school budget, something like $3 billion, something crazy like that. Um, this is an affluent school district that has all the resources it could possibly need to get back into the classroom. And the, the teachers, uh, the school boards insisted on prioritizing teachers for the vaccine. Okay, fine. Let's get those teachers to the front of the line and vaccinate them. And the response after that, ah, still can't come in. <laughs> no, not to the fall. And we've talked about this before, but like there is no single, you know, illustration of this problem than that.
2: That's it. Yep. And, it's and, and, it's and, not science. It's just, it's all just giving the teachers union total power. That's all this is. As a purely political issue, right?
3: Taking it back outside of the morality issue, which I feel so strongly about, in terms of educating our kids and making sure they're not just sort of a lost generation Mm -hmm. on a purely political standpoint, you know, you always have gold when a political party is pitted between the right choice and the choice that their base supports. Right. And in this particular context, it's so bad. They're so committed to teachers unions that they literally will, will not observe gravity. I mean, we, we, I looked at Twitter this morning, there was a Democratic pollster that was talking about a, a poll that he fielded that showed a majority support across the country of people who, who believe that we ought to make classrooms safe before kids can return and that that's not safe yet. And so he's saying, you know, basically this is not a big issue. People aren't motivated by it. Then he says like in a tweet or two later, worth noting that in the sample, only 25%. Are people you know who have school-aged children? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So, 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 in other words, the seventy-five percent of the sample that may or may not have an opinion about schools, uh, he's counting on having a stronger opinion than the twenty-five that you've just ruined their kids' development. Yeah, you know, and 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 one of the things that I've likened it to, because I had a lot of reporters call about this too, and try to figure out how Republicans you know, utilize this, this messaging. And they're like, well, what happens if COVID's gone in a year and a half? And I'm like, look, there are certain events that are indelible on, and, and, and always, almost always involves people's families and people's kids. And the one that I'm reminded of the most was in 2013 when they were implementing Obamacare and they stripped everybody's current healthcare benefits away and then forced them to go to a website that didn't work to try to sign up for new benefits people went nuts and they didn't go nuts because it was an inconvenience which it was which it was they went nuts because their kids had like pediatrician appointments you know they had just regular doctor's visits and now all of a sudden you're screwing with their family Mm -hmm. and that much of what we talk about on the federal level is esoteric 50,000 foot like what difference is 1.9 trillion and 900 billion like ultimately to me what difference does that make not much but when you're telling me that my kid
2: can't get an education yep motherfucker I get serious about that and and talk to any parent you know this is a, a like a key voting issue this is a motivation to get to the polls to vote in any election necessary. You're starting to see videos get posted online of parents showing up to these uh, school board meetings saying that w- the CDC guidelines are saying these schools are safe. We have scientific evidence showing get the kids back in school. What's going on here? What's going on here? And they're, they're, those people are going to vote.
0: Th- there's, it's not just the pollsters. We also have the media trying to do rapid response for the Democrats on this as well. I mean, we've highlighted a few examples previously, but one I wanted to point out um, just from from yesterday was in the Washington Post. The title of this is, The Deeply Distorted Debate About Reopening Schools.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Off to a good start,
2: right? (laughs) Yeah, here we go. Uh,
0: So this is from Valerie Strauss, who um, is a um, education reporter. I'll note here, and I'm not sure the exact editorial standards at the Washington Post, but this one is is labeled analysis.
3: Um, oh, that's so the tricky. That's the tricky word that you use to, to suggest that it shouldn't be taken as news, but I don't want you to believe that it's opinion either. Yeah.
0: Ah, right, exactly. Yeah. Bullseye. Um, so, just some some real quick gaslighting from this analysis. There's <laughs> um, one one snippet I really love the quote and i'm saying this is it says literally quote the quote science of reopening schools is evolving even as more dangerous variants of the coronavirus are starting to spread
3: i mean it's evolving because because the virus is i mean we 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 talked about this in last episode about how the cdc conceded that they changed the policy because of lobbying of, by the teachers' union. That's right. There, there that's is the, the only evolution that's happening is politics. The science
2: isn't evolving. I mean, here's the thing is, bottom line, this is 100% the teachers' unions trying to just will whatever they want into existence. What's happened is you know, these teachers are willing to blow up the entire education system they want your kids from now on to just sit in front of a screen and be taught you know and, and and if they want to blow the system up then we should do it the right way like if if teachers demand to teach over zoom then why not just show kids lessons taught by actual experts and employ you know tAs to grade homework why not, not do that such a good point you know you have if you have your like specialized or ap uh, high school classes, you know, your math or science ones, get real professors for the kids, not just someone with a degree in teaching and a membership to the teacher's union. It's um, so good. That's it.
3: It's like, it's like uh, what do you see on Instagram all the time? Masterclass.
2: Yeah, it, yeah. it's just like that. Like uh, it, 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 if, they're, if it, boils, it boils down to this, if they're just watching videos of lessons, why not get them the best possible lessons and then end up saving a ton of money on uh, not having to pay worthless union members? Well, like, we might this we, is we the might, way that if they want this, they can have it. If they want to blow up the entire education system, if they want to say, okay, it has to be on our, our terms, it has to only be video screens, even though we've gotten the teachers immunized, we're not gonna go back. Hey, if they want to do it, then then if they want to change the system, then we can we can let them have it. We we may have to, smug, because clearly in, in reading
0: this analysis from the Washington Post, what becomes quite clear all of this is just a delay tactic. It's that's it. that's what this is at the end of the day. This is a delay tactic for the unions and the school board and the Democratic politicians that are keeping your kids out of school, and they're always going to find a new reason to do so.
3: Yeah, do you, because you it's nice. Re- because it's nice, right? Well, I mean, you, you saw you the Democratic. Re- you saw the Democratic. What it was the union member in in Chicago that? Yep.
2: Was like she was out vacationing time. in Miami, saying it's not safe for for teachers to be out. You know, there's a virus. There's a pandemic on this out on the streets. It's not safe for folks to be outside of their home. And then she's out in Miami vacationing. Well, what's
0: what's the 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 goalposts have moved again? Mm -hmm. It's you know we're talking about unsafe. Now they're saying schools have never been safe. Yeah, oh yes, before the coronavirus. So that's that's the way that they've moved the goalposts now. And and the CDC director Walensky you know who who's been doing the rounds here as as sort of the tip of the spear on on moving the goalposts here for the democrats uh she she made some um she made some statement about uh, ventilation systems and and mold exposure and things like that really just 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 throwing throwing another wrench in, in the process to getting the schools open and this article puts a little bit more meat on that on that bone uh which i thought was was absolutely fascinating here. I and mean, we let them from- keep
2: moving the goalposts like this where they're like oh it wasn't safe before so we, we also need to address that stuff it's going to get to the point where these unions are going to say every kid and every teacher needs to be given a nasa grade space suit and be put in a clean room uh and then I mean- separated because some classrooms even if they're letting them back they still have like one student four students in a room in each corner looking at a video screen like I saw that post on Twitter where they're like, this is what this school district is doing. Well, what
0: they, what they say here about the ventilation systems now in the article is basically, you know, quote, we need to have a real conversation about how to address the problem. We can't retrofit these schools that will take forever. So how do we deal with that situation? Let's get some physicists together. Let's give teachers and schools ideas about how we solve that problem. You've had a fucking year. out You've had a fucking year. Tens of billions of dollars. And now they want to have a real
3: conversation. It's absolute bullshit. See, that's the, that's the other thing that, like, unless you really follow this stuff, which we do, you, you would be surprised to find out that there has been tens of billions of dollars adic- allocated for this very thing mm-hmm. over a calendar year. Right, so it's not as though this is something that people have stumbled upon in February. This is something that was in the CARES Act that was in March of 2020. And it was again funded in December of 2020, which by the way, they've spent none of the money of. And every time you ask the Biden administration about this, they say, yeah, that's a good good reason why we need to pass this next $1.9 trillion bill. And nobody, not a single member of the press says, okay, but why didn't you spend the $20 billion that passed six weeks ago? Like, what, doesn't that, wouldn't that take care of your problem? Completely insane. Unbelievable. And nobody, no, I mean, this is the kind of right-side-up, upside-down bullshit that I'm talking about. Like, these are facts. These are facts. These are things that you deal with in a real world, and you can't just get by them with political rhetoric and bullshit and smoke and mirrors. Like, our kids should be in school. You've had a year. You've had billions. 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 And by the way, the federal government is not the primary funder of, of education. It's the states. That's why you pay state taxes. So this is on top of that. This is stuff that, that states don't ordinarily get. These schools don't ordinarily get. It's been specifically allocated. Mm-hmm. It's infuriating.
2: It is. And every day that passes with them delaying on this, your kids fall further and further behind.
3: And that's the real tragedy. And we've talked about this before. It's like the rich kids, they figured out how to get up, get them out of those schools and into schools that are showing up. Mm-hmm. Right? They figured out everybody who's got a, a, who's supposed to succeed in America is is going to be unfazed by this. Yep. Because their private schools got no problems. They're all, they all figured out. You know, in fact, I, I had people in, in that I know that banded together with other families that had hired a teacher Mm -hmm. to teach their kids. Like that's, that's what wealthy families are going to do. Poor families. You think they're going to be able to
2: do that? Nope. Nope. And that's who the teachers unions are punishing. Those who need it the most.
3: Those are the kids. And that is the, that is the, the untalked about truth about democratic education policy. It is the most regressive and, and, and targeted policy that you can think of their only goal is to try to make the teachers powerful enough to retain complete control over a child's education and if that means they have to go to a completely shitty school or one that doesn't even meet all together so be it
2: and you've got you've got suicide rates among children going up you've got proof that you know it's it's like you're saying a lost generation that if this continues they will never be able to catch up to their peers who, who got around the world, who got to attend schools that were opened. They will never make up for it. I think it was the WSJ who had the statistic out where uh, the average child is looking at over a lifetime losing something like 80000 in salary due to the time that they're oh, missing out, getting geez. skills, getting an education. This is having This is every day that they delay. It's having lasting impact on, on these kids' future. And even, you know, like I said, like their kids committing suicide, this is, this should be taken seriously and it should be addressed immediately. And the delays that these unions and the Democrats and, and the Biden administration choosing the unions over the kids every day, they delay, it just gets worse and worse.
3: I think what makes me so mad about it, honestly, is the idea that ultimately the people who have the biggest problem with this beyond the the teachers unions, which their motivation is obvious. But the biggest the the people who have the biggest problem with getting our kids back in school are people who sit in their like ten thousand square foot house in their office with high speed internet. Yep, that their lives have not changed but a fucking wink. Yep, in the last eleven months, you know these are these are the people. If anything, their income has grown. Mm -hmm. They have they have not a care in the world about the situation that we find ourselves in because their families are entirely immune from it.
2: And that's what I had someone tell me, they're like, maybe uh, while the folks with education degrees refuse to come into the schools, let's have an auto mechanic come in and teach a hands-on lesson for kids. I mean, they've been working through the pandemic already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of parents would be happy. Uh, I know a lot of kids would be happy to get out of the house, learn anything, you know, gain some skills, have anything to occupy their time instead of just like staring at a screen.
3: That's completely right.
2: And very, I well think said.
0: what we got, I think we got, what we got to do is we got to, you know, uh, tell uh, you know DoorDash and tell Eat Twenty Four and tell Postmates and all of these delivery apps to cut off service to all of these school board members. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that if they don't want teachers to to go and show up. Um, maybe they can't go to the grocery store anymore. That's the thing is, like, <laughs> you know, it's, they're, it's fi- they're sh- fine with other
2: people out there exactly. doing their job. It's incredibly selfish. It's incredibly selfish. And especially that, that, that group that already has been vaccinated and still demands that schools not be open. You know, there's a lot of the delivery uh, folks. There's a lot of your folks who are working at the grocery stores who haven't been vaccinated. And, and they're going in and, and they're going to work every day to keep society functioning. And meanwhile, you've got these folks who are still getting paid, who have been vaccinated, and they're demanding, no, 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 we're not going back to work. It's, Everybody's it's got a role
3: and a responsibility when you're in a situation like this, right? The country is, we've had, you know, every generation we've had multiple challenges. This is a big one, honestly. It's a big one. The fact that we've had a complete disruption of the service sector, so many people unemployed, not of their own making, We're trying to figure out how to invent and distribute vaccines all across this country. We've mobilized the best possible intentions from so many different professions to try to fix this problem and get through this. The least you can do if your job is teaching children
2: is to figure
3: the fuck out how to teach children.
2: And that's it right there. That's it right there. Uh, And now uh, uh, to switch gears a little bit uh, the other night, Biden had a town hall that was, I'd say, a little bit of a disaster, but actually probably a lot of a bit of disaster. Uh, he said a bunch of crazy stuff, folks, <laughs> a bunch of crazy stuff. And then, of course, as they always do, you know, the journos ran cleanup. Uh, for, I, this is going to become a pattern because, I mean, Biden is not going to stop saying crazy things. Uh, they, they, they tried to run cleanup on it like uh, the the i think glenn Kessler is the washington post fact checker right that's right yeah he was he was saying that listen i mean uh just because like what did biden say he said uh just because china is committing genocide it's like a cultural issue of theirs and, and Kessler was saying you know all these things that that biden said listen folks it's just to stuttering yeah he just, uh, he just <laughs> that's the fact checker telling you this folks Holy moly. (laughs) My stutter
0: is just casually covers up for genocide. Yeah.
2: It's like, like, listen, I mean, he he didn't actually say genocide is normal. That was a stutter, folks. Like, it was clearly just stutter. It was just like genocide. I mean, that's not how (laughs) this works at all. And that's the fact checker who's telling us this. It's alarming. It's alarming.
3: A different level of specificity. I mean, the thing that, and I'll be honest, like, I couldn't watch that stuff because it's, it's, one, it's boring. It's all get out. But I watch the cover. I, I look at the coverage of it, and I try to sort through it. And the thing that stood out to me was his rewriting of history on COVID and COVID vaccines, and you know their ability to distribute and all. And and basically, what he said. Maybe we should play some audio of this. If we can find it, we'll play some audio.
2: When you and I talked last, we talked about it's one thing to have the vaccine, which we didn't have when we came into office, but a vaccinator. How do you get the vaccine into someone's arm?
3: What he said was that they did not have the vaccine when he became president. That's explicit, the quote that he said, that they didn't have the vaccine. I mean, he himself was immunized a month Thirty full days prior to him becoming president,
2: it's incredible.
0: Then he you said, "You'd
3: you think it'd be a thing you'd remember." <laughs> <laughs> you think? You think? Well, I mean, look, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to speak to the anything that Joe Biden can remember. The, the second piece of this is that he said we also had the problem with how you administer the vaccine, the shots. I'm like motherfucker, you think you're inventing the hyperduric needle? Like, that's new?
2: <laughs> it, it's incredible. I mean... What do you mean? And like, what do you that, mean? Like, this, is, this, is, this isn't a stutter because this keeps happening. You're like, you had Kamala go out and try to rewrite history, being like, uh, you know, we didn't have... A, a, and there's nothing in place. There's, there's no, no stockpile. Pile. And then Fauci's like having... T- they're like, Fauci, get out there and run cover. And he's like, oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, actually, what Kamala said wasn't incorrect. It's ridiculous.
3: I, so, so, and then the third thing he suggests is we also had the challenge of finding the people to administer it. I, I don't know what planet anybody else has been on, but I think we've talked a lot about nurses in the last nine, nine, ten months. These people have been playing the most critical role that any frontline worker has played since 9-11. And, and they're doing it on a massive national scale. And we've talked about it endlessly, like give these pe- people some credit. He's acting as though those people didn't exist until he became president. Oh, we, well, now we've, we've figured out how to get people to put shots in. We've invented the shots, the vaccine, and, and, and the profession of nursing.
0: I'll
3: <laughs> all, mind you
0: <laughs> while <laughs> forgetting to realize all these vaccines were created
3: under President Trump. Everything, all of it, and the distribution plan. Right. Like, they, we vaccinated over a million people on the day that he was inaugurated. And his 100-day plan was 100 million vaccinations. Well, congratulations. <laughs> on day one, you're right on pace, pal. Amazing. You've been unlocked.
2: Good job. Amazing.
3: It's, it's, it's really, I mean, the COVID thing is what bothered me the most. But it went, I mean, to your point earlier, Smug, it's like well beyond that. I mean, almost everything he said is just sort of stumbling into one problem after another.
2: Amazing.
1: <laughs> it's the just shocking.
2: It's, it's shocking when it's, it's the fact checkers. Like you, had, you literally had one job. One job is to just, for God's sake, mind the facts. It's not your job to run out and, and, and do rapid response for the Dems. And that's why faith in the media has been completely lost
3: it it is why but it's also why going back to our first topic you cannot be distracted mm-hmm. like ruthless is not going to be distracted you can't be distracted like if there is an important inner party development that we need to address we'll address it we'll we'll talk about it. but if it's just bait we're going to talk about the serious issues you ought to be focused on
2: well, that's fantastic. And you know what we forgot? Speaking of something we forgot, we forgot to uh, let folks know we got a special interview today, don't we, Duncan?
0: Oh, yes, we do. Yes. Uh, we have Stephen Miller, Red Steez, on the pod today. Um, if you don't follow him on, on Twitter, the guy's fantastic at uh, trolling journalists with their own words. It's yeah. really uh, a remarkable Brilliant, skill. Added. To he be honest, he,
3: he's one of the, my favorite people on Twitter. I, I don't think that there is anyone other than maybe Smug and maybe you, Duncan, that I, 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 will, nice. I retweet every day. I retweet him every day.
2: Yeah, he really crushes it. I mean, the way that he holds up the mirror to, to journos and the left is just, it's incredible. And it, it really drives them insane. They really can't hack the way he does it to them. So. Can't handle it. Let's get into the interview. All right, Stephen Miller.
0: Thanks for joining us on Ruthless. Uh, one thing I just wanted to clear up for our audience here, right, right off the top here, is you are not White House advisor to President Trump, Stephen Miller. You you are not. Uh, <laughs> and no. so, you know, if if you could just sort of clear that up for our audience here in case y'all don't follow him on Twitter, uh, he's the other Stephen Miller.
1: I'm the good I'm the good looking one.
0: I saw a trend on uh, Twitter recently, which which I believe actually started with you, uh, but that uh, eventually it sort of merged with other the other Stephen Miller's content, which was really, really something.
1: Yeah, Um, I think I think yesterday was the first time where so the name Stephen Miller's trended obviously for the past four years on Twitter and, and, you know, people at first would get in my mentions or whatever. So I just learned to kind of embrace it. I had this gif of Jack Nicholson from Batman as the Joker dancing on his parade float. And (laughs) I was just like, you might as well, who cares? And uh, I think yesterday was actually the first day where I trended because it was me. But then what happened is a bunch of like resistance libs, started flooding it with like memes of Nosferatu, Stephen Miller. And so it turned out to where it like, he took over the trend in a way. And I'm sitting there thinking this could actually really work for my advantage. You know, like uh, I was thinking like, I could pretty much say anything I want and I could trend on Twitter and a bunch of people are going to go the white house guy put kids in cages or, or whatever. And so I'm going to have to learn to, to uh, utilize this more. Yeah, You got to melt that. You got to melt that for all it's worth. Um, Yeah. So you are, you know,
0: not only prolific on, on Twitter, you're also, you know, you have your own podcast um, and you write a number of places. Could you tell folks a little bit more about that?
1: Uh, I I only contribute to spectator uh, USA right now. I I love spectator kind of reminds me of the olden days of heat street where it's kind of mischievous. It's, it's intelligent. You have writers like Dominic green and Freddie gray, but then you can, you know, there's mischievous pieces. They have uh, a character called Cockburn, which is a completely fictional character. I hope I'm not blowing the lid off that. but um, <laughs> And it's kind of just all of them. Throw, and if they really want to write kind of a kooky piece, they put it under Cockburn. And um, they're really easygoing editors. So I pretty much enjoy just doing that. I am, I'm I'm going to be publishing a piece at the Federalist this week, which I have never written for the Federalist. Um, but they have an, an enormous reach. And I'm going to be writing about... Uh, twitter's lack of action on the lincoln project posting dms and so i'm digging in i'm emailing people at twitter which isn't going well surprised um but i have I, i've written for fox news i've written for national review um new york post a, a few times so kind of all over the place and they've all been kind of different experiences which as a writer you love and especially for commentary um you, you learn a lot about, these different places and what they kind of expect and how they change your writing style. And I know writer, a lot of writers hate that. And I really, I I don't mind it so much as long as I don't like completely rip my voice out and put it in with theirs. (laughs) And, um, you know,
0: back, back to the, the, your Twitter, Um, you are prolific there obviously. And if you don't, if you're listening to this and you don't follow Red Stees, Go get go ahead and give them a follow.
1: Uh, just fantastic content. They, they, all, they already follow me. I should be telling <laughs> just to boost you guys. I'll just tell I'll just tell your audience to, to follow you guys. <laughs> guys follow <laughs> Smug and Josh and, and Mike. Okay.
0: Um, but a lot of your content really focuses on sort of pointing out the hypocrisy of the media, uh, essentially holding up a mirror, um, you know, of their own spin and then you know applying it, using it. Uh, on on Democrats. And you've recently yeah. done that with COVID, which got you a ton of attention. So could you tell folks a little bit about that?
1: I guess you're kind of referring to uh, this thing yesterday. with yeah. They are in Rupar and, uh, and a ton of like, the, the lead singer of the Pixies tweeted at me over this and uh, I ended up sending I only have like 30 friends on Facebook my Facebook's completely locked down I keep it pretty private to just close friends and I, I sent uh, I sent to one of my guys who I was in a band with years and years ago and I was like here's so I'm getting yelled at by Frank Black of the Pixies now um, I noticed during the pandemic there was this uh, phenomena in media and it went from everyone from people like Aaron Rupar to Jake Tapper to uh, where every time we hit a kind of milestone of COVID deaths, they were looking for like the most dramatic way to express it, and and they were really doing it in in a sense of a way to hit Donald Trump. Um, so you know we'd hit you know nine thousand deaths, and and we we would get you know these bold proclamations of you know that's that's three nine and just you know that's that's a nine eleven every day for you know, the last month, and we can't look away. Uh, I think it was Brian Stelter even compared uh, the pandemic to, you know, a plane hitting the towers once every, and and it's, you you kind of, um, so I, as as we've now progressed to Joe Biden, and as you see these, these daily death totals have just disappeared. Um, You're not seeing them kept track now on media timelines and things like that. And this is just one of these things I noticed. So uh, of course, I'm, I've taken upon myself and the free beacon was great with this too they, they picked up the joe biden death tracker for covid deaths and nobody and, and you know to clear it up nobody's you know making fun of these deaths nobody's making fun of we're making we're kind of showing the media reaction that it's similar to kind of the iraq war uh when barack obama came in it's these deaths matter depending upon who was president and who can be blamed for them right when in fact i don't really bl- blame Joe Biden for COVID deaths. I don't really blame Donald Trump for COVID deaths. I blame China for COVID deaths. Um, I blame people like Andrew Cuomo who signed direct orders that resulted in COVID deaths. Um, So I've just, I've kind of taken this thing where I'm trying to pull the most obscure kind of dramatic examples. You know, like there's 79,000 deaths under Joe Biden's watch, that's 79,000 Larry Kings. You know, we can't, we can't turn our back to this kind of stuff. Right. That's, you know, that's the entirety of this, you know, the Sino Burmese war under Joe Biden in just three weeks. And when you do that, they, they really kind of get upset about it as in the point of we can play these games, but when you play these games, or when you show us the games we're playing, then we get upset. And then we're going to try and cancel you, or then we're going to make you trend on Twitter. Or we're going to dog your mentions. And it, one of the things I realized <laughs> I had someone say, in case people aren't noticing, and I don't want to name them because they were kind of a low follower account. They weren't anybody important, but they said, in case people are noticing, Rupar is pointing out the very real, you know, staggering totality of this all while Miller is just bad faith trolling. Uh, And I I kind of responded to him with, so you're telling me when you compare things that aren't 9-11 to 9-11, we actually mean it. And it's kind of like, that's not, you might want to workshop that one, guys, because nothing is 9-11. 9-11 is its own horrible event, okay? Um, Casualties in war are its own horrible event. And you can't really compare a virus, which, you know, spreads almost uncontrollably, no matter what we try to do to stop it or mitigate it, it's going to spread to an actual terror attack. But I do appreciate that they did this. Um, uh, that was one of the things I loved when they were comparing this to war dads or the Vietnam war or anything like that is I kind of just say, thank you for, you know, comparing this to a, an attack because in some form or another um, not necessarily purposeful, this, this was an attack. It it was a a virus that came out of China, leaked from China. It crashed the global economy. um, It led to hundreds of thousands of deaths. And there's signs that China is now trying to use that to kind of, leverage their way back into trade deals and things like this. And again, I'm not sitting here floating Q on conspiracies or anything, but the fact is they are doing this. And so it should be treated as kind of a malicious act regardless.
0: So another thing you've sort of been leading the fight on here, speaking of battles related to COVID is the reopening of schools. Um, And, you know, what we've seen from the Biden administration and the CDC is a lot of Moving of goalposts. Um, how do we fight back on that?
1: Um, I, I wrote a piece my last piece for spectator was it should be the only issue Republicans should be talking about. Period. Like, and I know, and I know you have people from upon high who who come on your podcast and love your podcast. And if they don't. I know it's a guilty pleasure, which is, uh, I told Smug that. I said, you guys, you guys. I listened to a few episodes I'm like, this is going to be the most guilty pleasure where people ha- are going to chime in and say they hate this podcast and they listen to it all the time. Is <laughs> I, I kind of just said, this should be the only thing the GOP is talking about on any TV appearance, anywhere. You know, every time, like I, I said in my pocket, every time Manu Raju, you know, pulls his running down the hallway act to ask someone about, ah, what do you think about the QAnon lady? Ah! They should like stop and, grab his microphone and look right at the camera and say, we're not going to talk about that. Here's what we're going to talk. We're going to talk about why the Biden administration is ignoring science like they said they would follow. They're ignoring their own CDC guidelines. They're ignoring Dr. Fauci and and putting pressure on unions to open schools. No one is sitting here saying Joe Biden has the power to magically open schools. But a lot of where these schools are closed are Democrat strongholds. There are a lot of blue states and they're controlled by unions, essentially. And most of these schools and a lot of these schools happen to be lower income urban communities that they claim to care about the most. And this is to me where school choice comes in and you use this and say, look, this is what happens if you don't have school choice. This is what happens if you don't have vouchers. This is what happens if you don't have private schools. This is what happens if you don't have charter schools. And this should be the literally the only issue every Republican should be talking about on TV. And yeah, you're going to get the politicos. You're going to get the New York times saying you're just, you're weaponizing this. You're weaponizing exhausted parents which was an actual New York Times uh, headline. (laughs) The GOP is weaponizing exhausted parents. You're just beating up. And it's kind of like you see where Democrats are aligning themselves. It also kind of reminded me of when businesses were being locked down, you had networks like MSNBC and CNN putting on people like Andrew Cuomo and Gretchen Whitmer and Democrats and people like that. And on Fox, and, and this isn't really a, a weigh-in on Fox's content other than observation, you had Tucker Carlson putting on Dave Portnoy, who is helping businesses. You had Tucker Carlson putting on small business owners. right? Um, and that's kind of this huge gulf in me is you have two networks who now have backed themselves into doing kind of what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want them to say and do. And out here, you kind of have parents of teachers who, who are sitting here going, this is like our worst nightmare.
0: Well, yeah. And, and it's also it's 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 also on on a, in a very basic level. It's this is like local pothole politics like this is reopening schools is an issue yes. that everyone can rally around their neighbors can rally on people. People of all political stripes obviously care about their kids education. Yes. And so, you know, in in The post-Trump presidency, as we sort of, you know, reassemble a, a sort of conservative movement and coalition on a grassroots level around taking back the White House, the Senate, Congress it's got to start locally on stuff like this. I mean, you know, that's, that's how all this hard work gets done is on the local level. And I, I just I just don't think you could find a better issue. I mean, I just totally agree. It's like, it, it's visible. It's right there in your community. It affects your pocketbook. It affects your ability to go back to work,
1: you know? And it's right. Like, and I mean, you're coming off of in, in the, in the, in, 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 the end, in the Republican party has kind of an opportunity. um in the sense of they can get back to focusing on policy, and that's not not a huge hit on Trump, but Trump was a giant all-encompassing cult of personality. So yeah, he would he would kind of push some issues, but he was mainly just kind of a huge oxygen sh- oxygen suck in media and stuff like that. And we never really heard a ton about school choice under him. And now you have an issue to kind of impeachments over. He's, you know, kind of faded into the background as much as you know, CNN and MSNBC will try to keep him in the foreground. There, this really is an opportunity to kind of refocus. And like you said, just boots on the ground, hard local retail politics. This, is, this really reminds me a lot of Obamacare in the sense of, you know, you can keep your doctor, you're not going to lose your doctor, and then people lost their doctors. And, and the Obama administration could not hide from that. They right. could not hide from people getting a pink slip in their mailbox saying, yeah, sorry, your doctor's out of network now. But you told me that, you know, I wasn't going to lose my doctor. It's very, very similar to this. You have the Biden administration and you know Kamala Harris and Jen Psaki is out there and they're all out there and they're all shifting uh, their narratives almost in real time because none of them know what is going on. Even just this morning, you had Simone Sanders saying one thing, Kamala Harris saying one thing, Joe Biden saying one thing last night about how do we do this and we want teachers vaccinated and no, they have to be vaccinated, but no, they don't uh savannah guthrie of all people uh really pinned hairs to the wall on this um this this is like you said this goes beyond just a political issue this isn't just a political win this is something that you can talk to these communities about but you have to get out there and you have to talk about it and you you cannot be distracted every time you know a cnn reporter or whomever you're talking to decides they want to talk about a random house rep who is you know on the 4chan forums or something, you really have to buckle down and focus on this and hit it and and consistently hit it all the time. So, so that sort of leads me to my next
0: question here, because you sort of, you know, talked about, um, you know, a post-Trump media world. What do you think that world looks like? Is there even such a thing as a post-Trump media like do they do they need it you see what i'm saying like do they need it, looks like, it looks like it looks like it
1: looks like Zack snyder's justice league um <laughs> if you've seen the trailer for that yeah. it's yeah. like batman's wandering around in a trench coat and joker we live in a society and you know there's just way i'm like that that's what post-trump media looks like to me right there um they're not they're gonna try their best to not let him go um we, we even just this morning we saw Kaylee McEnany is trending because Jake Tapper is tweeting with anonymous former White House sources, and she's supposedly shouting out to QAnon. It and that's what they're just going to keep doing, and they're going to do it for a few reasons. One is because they just don't know how to quit him. Literally, they, they just he he was such you know a symbiotic relationship for so many years. I mean, since twenty fifteen, and to have that just suddenly cut off with impeachment, and he's not anywhere where he's on Twitter anymore. He's releasing statements. I said he should just start a Substack if he's <laughs> gonna just be releasing these four-page statements, ranting about whatever he wants to rant about. Um one one thing I noticed, I noted when I was on, I was on with Kennedy a couple of nights ago is a lot of the news cycles you're seeing, you know, with Andrew Cuomo, for example. If I could, if I could say there's two kind of big political stories right now, one is Andrew Cuomo, one is the Lincoln Project and these are two stories that are essentially just suffering from sunlight where Trump would otherwise be blocking that sunlight. Right. Um, whether or not it's fair or not, that's just the excuse media would give you. It's like, well, we'd love to cover Andrew Cuomo, but Trump is over here, you know, doing mouth fart noises on Twitter. And it's kind of like, you guys have hundreds of reporters, you can cover both things. Well, Trump's not over here making fart noises anymore. And so the more that it looks like they're ignoring Andrew Cuomo, it's kind of like, oh, I guess we should get on this now. And the same thing with Lincoln Project. Oh, gosh, I guess we should get on this now, even though people were talking about the problems with this organization as far back as August and September. So, I mean, a post-Trump landscape, I, I, I don't even know if we're there yet. I don't even know if we'll be there until we know what's going on with 2024. um the family's not going anywhere whether we like it or not and this is kind of one of these things I've I've told people when uh people on the right when they get mass outrage someone like Ocasio-Cortez it's like you guys need to pace yourselves they're still going to be with us a while so (laughs) one way or the other pace your pace your outrage meters or your you know your adrenaline a little bit because they're they're not really going to go away completely, and the media is going to make sure, right or wrong, that they don't go away. As we, like I said, we just saw this morning, Kaylee McEnany trending on Twitter because of Jake Tapper. Right, right. Because I mean, and it's not just partisanship; it's also you know
0: the media needs conflict, constant conflict. Yes, right. In order to write stories, so so like you were saying with the Lincoln Project or or you know this. the the Cuomo issue it's it they need to replace this huge vacuum that was left by Trump for for daily conflict and outrage which is why we
1: got two and a half weeks of Marjorie Taylor Greene Uh, that was that was the whole reason that was the whole reason that we went through that exercise it was kind of like the weaning off of Trump and then finding our next boogeyman and and I get she doesn't make things uh easy in circumstances, but we were told for four years, the media can't cover anything else because it's the president and he's the most important person in the world. And whenever he says it's the most important thing. And now we're being, you know, the media is recalculating itself to focus on a random house member in, I think she's Georgia, um, as opposed to kind of Joe Biden over here, uh, not giving us a clear cut plan on when schools are going to reopen and that's again that's very much on purpose like you said when when uh when there's they need conflict it's also like when you see nbc lead off with stories about you know two people who were vaccinated in southern california Tested positive for coronavirus, right. and it's they do this to you know gin up that oh geez you know what what are we going to do here kind of thing, and it's it's literally done out of conflict and fear, and to kind of keep people you know with the, the click addiction going. So, uh, you
0: know, President Trump's greatest rhetorical tool, in my opinion, was basically revealing the theater of politics and media that he could kind of show the cave, yes. if you will. And people loved him for that. He sort of gave you a peek behind the curtain at how all of this works. I mean, I guess my question to you is, do you think there's anybody else uh, in Republican politics who, who also does this well?
1: I think the future is going to be a mixture of both. And uh, I know this name comes up a lot, but you see someone like Ron DeSantis, who I think can have you know, he can have a tighter grip of policy and facts than Trump would have. Trump would kind of just get in a fight and take away Jim Acosta's microphone kind of thing. And people would cheer him yeah, you know, and uh, DeSantis can actually, you know, rattle off policy and facts while doing that. We saw that with the CNN reporter. And I think that that's kind of where it's going to be. You have to even go back to, I think it was the 2012 primaries where Newt Gingrich was getting cheered on. For you know, hitting the debate moderators for trying to create a food fight and stuff like that, and that was kind of the seed of all of where we're where we're at. Yeah. And I think the future is probably going to be who can who can do that, who can kind of take those aspects, like you said, of Trump, and move forward with more policy ideas, and still kind of have that combative, own the libs, fight the media style attitude, but not make that your sole focus. And right now, when, you know, when you see DeSantis do it, I've seen, I've seen like, I've watched kind of two or three of his pressers and he's very, very good at just stopping someone in their tracks and saying, hold on. And he also learns to put the question back on them. And that's not something Trump really ever did. And once you put Mm -hmm. the question back on them and make them kind of play by their own rules, that it becomes infinitely harder. And again, I think that you're kind of going to have to look at a hybrid of that going forward. Um, People, you know, there's a lot of anti-Trump people who won't like this, but I think Don Jr. is very good at that also. He's very good at kind of remaining composed and calm and still kind of bringing that attitude. And I think people underestimate him in some ways because he is one of these guys who's very online. He's like the most online of the Trump family, um, other than dad, um, who isn't really online anymore. But if you see Don Jr. Don Jr. is kind of in those trenches where he's liking tweets, he's retweeting, he's pointing out what people are talking about. So whether or not he runs or not, I don't know. But he he's of that circle that I think has the biggest grasp on on those, uh, on how to do that and how to leverage the media that way. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, well, we, we always end our interviews here on the Ruthless Variety program with three questions. Uh, number one, what would be your last
1: meal on earth? Can I like bar hop? Is it like, can I have like a one night or is it just like a meal is put in front of me?
0: Like you can do, you can do whatever you want. So if I have like
1: one, so if I have six hours and at midnight the the world ends or I die, um, it would probably start. I would probably start at, uh, a, Bar in Williamsburg called Skinny Dennis, which is kind of a honky tonk uh, country bar. There, I would start with a pickleback and a bowl of peanuts that they have. I would then move my way up to a place called Maison Premier, which is an old uh, Depression era speakeasy on um, Bedford Avenue in, in Williamsburg. And they had just an oyster bar. So I just probably get like 15 regular oysters there and, a, and an absinthe cocktail. And then I would probably work my way further up a little bit, a few blocks to a place called St. Anselm, which is a little tiny little steak restaurant in Brooklyn, which is fabulous. Um, And then maybe I'd stop across the street for some Brooklyn barbecue, which is better than anything that Texas or anywhere else has. So,
0: (laughs) okay, well, now you're just trolling.
1: (laughs) No, it's not trolling if it's true.
0: (laughs) I also, I appreciate that your last meal on earth uh, contains uh, alcoholic beverages Right. Um, if, well, you have, really have to, really of course. Sure. Right. Right. <laughs> um, you know. So, if you weren't working in in
1: politics, uh, what do you think you'd be doing? Wow. I don't think I work in politics now. If I if I'm being honest, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I'm I'm I ride that really that cusp edge of you know. Obviously, it interests me. I'm I'm far more interested in how the media and media culture affects politics and stuff like that. Um, I'm really only good at my opinion. That's kind of my hidden secret. Um, so uh, that's, that's tough. I've always just kind of wanted to be a, a writer in some form yeah. of another. Um, and so I'm I'm kind of doing that. And the, the kind of shit posting on Twitter is just kind of a, uh, it's kind of a perk on top. So I, I don't know if I, if, if I was doing anything else other than I was doing, I'd probably be doing politics actually. Yeah.
0: So what, motivates you more uh the thrill of victory or the agony
1: of defeat uh wow um
0: philosophical question
1: yeah i know but in politics you very rarely feel a victory this is what i and and being in again being on kind of gleaming the cube of this world for about 10 years now um and, and pushing my way into a crowd, you know, with my elbows to kind of get a little bit of recognition as a writer, or, um, even on Twitter, um, you very rarely feel a victory. This is what I've noticed. Like very rarely do you actually go, yeah, you know, we, we won that or something like that. And with politics, especially everything is almost an agonizing defeat in some form or another. Um, the, the one where I would say, like, this was kind of a clear win, which you guys will appreciate with the podcast, is I think Amy Coney Barrett. Um, it was so funny because she'd been talked about for years. She'd been memed about for years. Uh, she was just kind of one of those, you know, we'd put her photo up on Twitter and just say, this is what's coming, whether, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it just kind of turned out that way. Nobody want, you know, nobody's, you know, glad she's there because somebody else died. That's not kind of where we're at. Um, but I'm saying, like, that was like a clear this, you know, a seat opened up. This is who should be seated there. This is what's going to happen. You had the media going, this is going to tear the country apart. And I'm like, no, it's not. They're going to seat her and that's going to be it. And to me, that was kind of like, you know, a good win. So with politics, it kind of is, uh, it's kind of the never ending Batman fight where you know you're just going to get your ass kicked just about every single week and the victories are far and few. So I would say, you know, what should motivate you in politics is just the will to keep going when you feel those and defeats whether it's policy whether it's elections whether it's anything like that and it's kind of that will to keep going preferably without storming the u.s capitol building <laughs> i appreciate you taking the time
0: to come on the podcast um and you know appreciate all the content you're putting up there on twitter and um you know Anytime, anytime we can come, have someone come on and 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 give us a take on on reopening schools, you know that's going to be the drum we're we're beating to here at Ruthless. So appreciate all your work work on that.
1: Michael, thank you. I'm a fan. Keep up the good work. Uh, I like what you guys are doing, and I and I think it's important. Um, don't tell those other two dregs I said that. Um, <laughs> I don't want to make those guys feel important, but keep it
0: compliment up. for me exclusively. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thanks, man. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. Cheers. All
3: right. Outstanding. Well done, he's, pal. I mean, he's an interesting guy. I, I, I'll be honest, like, I didn't know everything there is to know about him. Uh, and I, I, I know he's incredibly talented, but he's really a compelling dude, too.
2: I've he's actually a nice gotten a chance uh, in New York to grab beers with him a couple of times, and I can attest he is just as funny and witty. In person <laughs> he was not he was a writing a team guy. behind him he's really doing it
0: he's a fun guy i mean he's um and 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 i should give him a plug here he's got um a podcast versus media podcast on patreon uh it's only three bucks a month for a subscription um you know so you know he was gracious enough to come on the pod so go ahead and give him a listen
3: yeah. Give them a listen. I, I, and like you said, it's worth it. Cause it's entertaining as hell, but, but also follow them on Twitter. You, you're, you're not going to want to miss it.
2: Yeah. Well, outstanding content all around outstanding episode, gentlemen. It's another one in the history books. So until next time minions, keep the faith, hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.